0: Um, I don't know if you could hear that, but that was my cat digging her claws into my back. That really hurt. Ow. (laughs) Um, If there's any pouncing noises and prickly, tingling things, it's probably me getting uh, massacred here. (laughs) Getting a free uh, acupuncture. Welcome to the Movie Bite podcast, a show to discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. This is episode 72. We're recording on Tuesday, December the 10th. I'm your guest host, Joe, and I'm joined by none other than the fair prince from the land of Dallas, Texas, master to Hopkins. Welcome to the show, Chad. <laughs> hey, Joe. How's it going? Excellent. I uh, I hear that TJ is not so excellent these days. He's kind of got the flu like everybody else that's important in podcasting these days. Yeah, he's feeling uh, just a little bit under the weather, I guess. <laughs> and uh, there is n- n- just no one else that can possibly replace him than myself. So, oh, of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be TJ today. Where's my nerdy glasses? <laughs> uh, here we go. All right. Okay, I'm we're gonna... set. We're set. <laughs> now, um, I was thinking, first off, we would probably like talk about side items like you normally do, right, sir? Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, Anything going on in the movies these days? Uh, The first thing I have up for us
1: is um, this story about Disney finally acquiring the full marketing and distribution rights to the future Indiana Jones films. Um, uh, If there are any future Indiana Jones films, I should add. Nothing's been officially announced Um, as we. No, as we all know, Disney purchased Lucasfilm last year, which is why they're in control of Star Wars Episode Seven, which is set for release in late 2015. Mm. Um, but they, even though the purchase of Lucasfilm gave them the rights to Indiana Jones, the character, I believe, it did not give them full marketing and distribution rights for films, which still belong to Paramount, who uh, produced and distributed the first four films.
0: Now, I'm uh, starting to feel like we had a little bit of a time travel deviation a few months back. I guess it was a year ago now when George Lucas sold all of his Star Wars properties over to Disney. It was like one of those events in the space-time continuum where people from the future came back. They altered the present. And then what they created was actually two futures where uh, in one version, George Lucas uh, turned over the rights to Disney And in the other version, George kept on uh, all of his rights and he probably did something really dumb with them Uh, (laughs) because something about the whole universe just hasn't felt the same since Disney got Star Wars. And then Disney got Marvel. (laughs) Disney got Pixar. Uh, And uh, now they got Indiana Jones. I'm figuring they're going to buy Nintendo any day now. Oh wow. And uh <laughs> but that's just my own theory. Uh we don't need a lot of email and you know feedback about that, please people. <laughs> um so I'm happy about this move because if George was selling the the Star Wars properties so that he could focus his attention on Indiana Jones, that might not have been a good thing. And that was something that occurred to me when he sold Star Wars. I wondered if this was uh A situation where Spielberg and Lucas were talking to each other and they said, you know what, let's, you know, duel the fates here. Uh, (laughs) What do you think we should do? Which of these two franchises matters to us more? Where should we go from here? And I pictured Spielberg saying, well, Lucas, Star Wars is your baby. We can always work more on Indiana Jones together. And Lucas caring more about his, you know, good pal Spielberg, said, Okay, you got a point there. I don't really want to do any more Star Wars films all by myself. So I'm more more or less committed to Indiana Jones as long as that's, you know, okay and interesting to you. And so I kinda of feared for Indiana Jones, honestly. And now I feel like a lot of that is gone. I don't yeah. know about what do you think?
1: Um Well, I I don't know about you, but I enjoyed Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, I think I'm one of maybe five in the world. Um,
0: Well, there's a lot more of us out there. We're just not willing to admit it. Okay, good. I'm (laughs) one of those that's not willing to admit it. I will not admit that I liked the Crystal Skull film.
1: Okay, since both of us, wink wink, did not like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, (laughs) uh, I'm glad... I, you know, I I have the same thing to say about this that I said about Star Wars. I mean, I, I, I'm i partial. I'm not partial. That's not the right word. I enjoyed the prequels for what they were. I mean, I was a kid when they came out. You know, my and, younger uh,
0: brother, he's 19 now. How old are you? I am 21. Okay. And he, he thoroughly was engrossed in the prequels. And he said yeah. it made a world of difference to him then. And now... He is really starting to see the sins of the the prequels and appreciate the the the, uh, the originals. Uh, so uh-huh. yeah, and I, where do you stand? Are you, are you kind of in the same boat? Sort of. I mean, I still enjoy
1: at least episodes two and three. Um, pretty, they are the easier well. children to look at. Yes, um, I mean, I was I was seven years old when the Phantom Menace came out, and so I didn't know any better. I, I, of course, I liked Jar Jar when I was a kid. That that was just a given. That's who Jar Jar was for was the seven year olds in the audience at best. At, at best, <laughs> but um, you know when when Disney announced that they were making Star Wars uh, Episode Seven, I said, you know, that's great. Um, looking back on the prequels, you can see where George Lucas uh, got in his own way. And now we don't have to worry about that. And I think the same thing can be said about Indiana Jones. And since Harrison Ford is still interested in the character, as he said, more than on more than one occasion, um, I think a partnership of somebody who's still interested in doing the film for the sake of doing the film and Disney, who have a lot of creative things going well for them right now.
0: It's just a good partnership. Mm. Well, see, I wasn't all that excited about the new Star Wars until I heard JJ was directing it. That's all that matters to me. (laughs) <laughs> honestly That's that fair. was an, that was another time where i think like the time travelers did something really weird because once upon a time i believe in the original course of you know time jj was supposed to just get his hands on star wars but then somebody changed things and he wound up with star trek 2 so uh <laughs> anyway now this is the timeline that we have Uh, So what do you think about the new Spider-Man trailer, the amazing, not just the Spider-Man, but the amazing Spider-Man 2 trailer came out here with uh, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Garfield playing Peter Parker again and uh, directed by Mark Webb, who did the first film as well. I just think that's totally ironic and I have to mention it it every time I can. Um, This trailer Shows a very ambiguous-looking electro man dude who zaps all of New York City into pieces, and it doesn't look like you know Spider Web can do all that much to save the city with this electrical man who apparently has something to do with the big bad evil corporation Oscorp. Um, in the trailer, all the effects are stunning. The there's all the uh, time-tested characters that you know and love. Uh, from comic books more so than other films and car- even cartoons. You know, like Gwen Stacy is not so much a, a patron of the cartoon series or, the, you know, the films well, m- like Mary Jane is. Uh, they're further developing Gwen Stacy. There's not going to be a Mary Jane. And uh, Peter Parker is this lanky kid with uh, brains, and he is unraveling a case involving his missing father. What do you think, man? I I, I feel conflicted i am a little bit conflicted um
1: i know that both you and i enjoyed the first uh film in this reboot right yeah i happened to uh, I, I listened to that episode before i was involved with movie bite um honestly so i remember I fi- you saying you liked it
0: yeah i just feel like you can't have enough spider-mans you can't have enough bat <laughs> and the, the movie franchises the cartoon shows are there to prove this Um, comic books have made a big mess because there's way too many Supermans. There's way too many Batmans. I'm not saying that you cannot hit the maximum. You can but it's how you manage the content so that it's, it's still palatable and you make these things lifelike enough that they're relatable and yet fantastic enough that you think to yourself, wow, that's legendary, you know? And if, right. you, if you can maintain momentum and, and uh, it doesn't even matter so much to me that these superheroes are depicted in modern times, it would be kind of cool if there was a movie franchise about a retro Superman from the 1940s. I could right. see that. That'd be interesting. Um, maybe that kind of thing will happen. One day we'll get a steampunk uh, Green Lantern, you know, <laughs> uh, something will happen. Um, like that in another alternate universe thing with J.J. Abrams involved somehow. Um, (laughs) So um, I I, I don't know that I'm exactly really enthusiastic about the new Spider-Man film because it feels like right now it is too familiar. Um, I'm not Um, so much opposed to it because um, the other movie franchise only happened like yesterday because it didn't happen just yesterday. It happened several years ago. And there are kids growing up now. They're trying to make the movie for this generation, and they're they're accomplishing that. You know, the first film got a a decent, uh, above average, you know, above, you know, maybe a very good sort of rating on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. So it has its detractors, but uh, I think that's true with any kind of Superman or superhero series. There's just a lot right. of people out there that are not interested in superpowers. So already those people are not going to be paying attention. And then there are the people that are not interested in comic books. So they're not going to be paying attention. And, right. and then there's going to be those people that liked it because of some actor in the first film, like Tobey Maguire. But <laughs> I don't know who those people are. And, uh, yeah, so maybe it was because they liked the director better, Sam Raimi. And that's probably right. a lot of it. I think that the secret sauce for the other series was Sam Raimi. Uh, more so uh-huh. than the cast, so maybe that's what what's kind of wrong here. It's this it's the same dish, but this is with less sodium, and and because of it, it's because it's the it's the light portion. It's just not as entertaining, it's not as interesting.
1: Yeah, I think part of it too. I, I mean, I'm moderately excited for this film, but it seems like it might be falling into the same sort of pitfalls that Spider-Man three of the Raimi trilogy fell into with just too much going on, too many bad guys, too many, uh, things flying around and exploding. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see Jamie Foxx as Electro and Paul Giamatti as, uh, Mm. Rhino and other, other stuff like that. But I just think, uh, I mean, the green Goblin's going to appear in this too. And it's just almost overload villain overload. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, I, I enjoyed the first one, and I don't want it, this to be too much of a good thing, huh?
0: Mm. Well, would you? I mean, if you had to look at this from another angle, would you have been happy to end this development of you know Spider-Man with the first film with Andrew Garfield and just stop there? I mean, no. Like, I mean, it seems like we're kind of at the point where you just know there's going to be another sequel, and another, and another. Right. So I guess we're just going to have to take what we can get, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, hopefully it'll be good and hopefully it won't fall into the same sort of pitfalls that Spider-Man three fell into with just too many oh, villains. Yeah. Um, hopefully they address that better this time around hmm. and uh, it's, it just works better. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm hopeful.
0: Good. Okay. Well, another thing that we wanted to discuss here was the new Hobbit extended edition version of last year's movie. You know, uh, the new Hobbit film is coming out. uh, What is it like the week before Christmas? This week. Oh, is it this week? Cool. Yeah. Are you reviewing that? I believe we're probably talking about it next week. Excellent. Yes. Okay. So have you seen last year's film since it came out in theaters or the home and release, I guess? I actually haven't watched it since I saw it in theaters. Now go back in time to when the Lord of the Rings trilogy came out. Did you watch those as soon as they came out on home release? No,
1: I was way behind the curve and did not see Lord of the Rings until I got them on Blu-ray a
0: couple of years ago. Okay. So you didn't get to see them in theaters either. No. All right. Oh, that's too bad, man. Yeah. Childhood was pretty boring. (laughs) I, I think I was just really wet behind the ears when I was 13 and I went to the theater and it felt like it was for the first time. It was like my first movie I ever saw. Was Pinocchio, and that was quite an experience. Um, Uh And I'm not that old. There was a re-release in the in the early 90s, right? Uh, So yeah, but that was quite the experience. And it was sort of like watching Pinocchio all over again for me at 13 because it was such a epic quality film and uh just blew my mind uh i'd never seen so much black blood splattered all over and you know all all that cool stuff that they did with orcs and swords and stuff so i i was in uh, that was a tearjerker too and uh i watched it three times in the theater and then i got the extended edition as soon as it was available and i watched them like all the time and i watched all of that excess documentary making of footage there was like 12 hours or so of making of footage for every one of the films. Peter Jackson is a ridiculous man. Um, And it was totally worth it, though, because that production was so high in quality to a 13-year-old like me that it was just mind-boggling what they could accomplish. And now I am the 28-year-old guy, and I see The Hobbit, and I was kind of underwhelmed because... Not because... He, it was less lesser than in quality than the Lord of the Rings, but it was way too familiar. And too many people are saying that Jackson is Lord of the Ringsifying the Hobbit. And I agree with him because the yeah. Hobbit was a modest, innocent story, more in keeping with um, like something like uh, ooh, hmm, Frosty the Snowman meets King Arthur. I don't know. Just something just very mild in comparison. Uh, Rumpelstiltskin meets King Arthur. You know, I, I don't know. Something like that. You know, take a jumbled up uh, mashup of other good fantasy fairy tale stuff with knights. Uh, and that's what The Hobbit was. It was innocent and different. Um, it, was a, it was a children's fiction. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia. There you go. That's a little bit more akin to it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, though Tolkien had his different writing style. But uh, yeah, we're not getting that we're getting this overblown um, expanded edition in the theatrical release with new characters and new love interests. Stuff like that. Um, Right. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm not going to enjoy it like I did Lord of the Rings. And it's just because I feel like, hey, you know what, Jackson, you did us all a favor by making the original trilogy relatively faithful to the, the books. And that made it so... Glorious. Like it had so much more going for it than if it hadn't been faithful to the books. And here right. we, we, it's like, well, I thought Jackson knew better. I thought Jackson knew he didn't need to deviate from the books. All of that to say that everybody has been disappointed by the length of these films. And you would think that if you add any more content to the series or to the film individually, that it would make it worse. But that's not the case. That's not the report. That's not what's coming in. People are saying the extended edition is better than that three-hour-long travesty.
1: <laughs> oh, I wouldn't call it a travesty, Joe. Or okay. that's my not my opinion, at least. I, like you, I I appreciated the Lord of the Rings more than I liked The Hobbit. And I think the problem that we're coming into here is where... Jackson made the original trilogy very faithful to, to that trilogy of books. He is almost trying to make the Hobbit faithful to the entire works of middle earth. And he's trying to tie everything into that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so we're, we're getting the story of Sauron at the same time that we're getting the story of Bilbo Baggins. And that's just this huge contrast and um, it's adding length that isn't completely necessary. And it it, it's it is just a little bit bulky um i enjoyed it for what it was but it 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 wasn't as good as it could have been and had they
0: just trimmed the fat a little bit this is middle earth for the 21st century is what you're saying yes Mm. uh and just so you know you can find out more information about this uh topic from the post called about the hobbit extended edition which is at moviebite.com. you'll find the link in the show notes The one other side item we have actually relates closely to the movie we're going to review today, Frozen, by Disney, which came out, um, what was it, last weekend? It was actually a few weeks ago. It was Thanksgiving week. Oh, okay. And, uh, well, with now the wide release, I don't know if the soft release had this, but there is this uh, uh, Disney animated short film cartoon that plays before it, much like what Pixar used to do and still does, I guess. This cartoon is with Mickey Mouse in the gang, but it's it's rather unfamiliar to to kids today. This is like classic Mickey Mouse, and it's called um, what is it called? Uh, get a horse. Get a horse. All right. I like the notion of what that says in and of itself. It sounds old fashioned. It does. This cartoon is through and through, to me at least, very familiar because. In another time of my childhood, I, I watched so many merry metal melodies. I don't know if I ever missed one. Like I probably saw them all. And I saw all of them like ten times. On uh-huh. old, old VHS tapes. until uh, till they broke. I mean, like I, I just watched the heck out of Mickey Donald and Goofy. And that was my version of the Disney Channel was those eight VHS tapes. That uh-huh. cartoon that I saw before Frozen was in every way in keeping with the classic cartoons of Mickey and Minnie Mouse, the uh, the what was the the cat's name is Stinky Pete or something like that. I don't even know if that early <laughs> in the days of uh, Mickey Mousedom that he had a name. He was just the big bad cat, and the names were rather superfluous because the uh, the characters didn't really talk all that much. Right, but you took him to be the villain anyway. So Mickey and Minnie are on a hayride or something like that, and there's this uh, bully of a cat who chases them down and, uh, kit, you know captures Minnie and is trying to speed away, giving Mickey a hard time. And from there, Minnie and Mickey just find uh, ways to heckle this cat till he has lost all of his gumption and he's you know running away with his towel between his legs. And it's so cool because we have seen uh, Disney try to reinvent and reinvigorate the classic Disney characters for the last several decades. I think their most noble effort up till now was The Prince and the Pauper. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty good feature short that I saw in theaters and at the time everybody seemed rather impressed because it it didn't feel like it belonged to the 80s or the 90s it felt like it was timeless as much as Disney was capable of at the time that that came out um maybe I saw that before the beginning of the rescuers down under I don't know in theaters um but maybe it was I'm it was, not sure it was around that time so uh, this cartoon, though it, it, a lot of it is in black and white, it has the essence of timeless comedy and uh, great hilarity in classic, exaggerated, sensational cartoon uh, a, you know, like stunts and absurd, um, you know, action and all kinds of crazy things happen. Cars, you know, falling on top of animals and it just flats them out like pancakes and then they pop back up again. Things like that. The rubber arms effect of classic cartoons that um, Mary Mel- Melodies was known for early on. That kind of thing is going on here. They even have the voice of Walt Disney doing the voice of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Uh, super impressed. You can find a clip of this, uh, cartoon short on, uh, YouTube. If you're not going to go see frozen anytime soon, maybe check that out if you're interested and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I, I think this is really trend setting, uh, because the cartoon is instantly timeless to me. What do you think?
1: Oh, I definitely agree. I, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't see it coming. I, I was just I sat there thinking, oh man, I'm watching this uh, old school Disney short in the style of Steamboat Willie. And it's awesome. And I, I was happy there. And then all of a sudden they twisted on you and they start playing with what animation can do. And it's just this wild, colorful, uh, just really fantastic ride. And I think um, I've seen somebody compare it to the old Donald Duck short, duck Amuck. No, mm. I think that, I think that's Don, uh, Donald.
0: I'm, searching just real quick. Well I know uh, that could be Daffy Duck. Um it sounds very familiar. I have all the classic Looney Tune cartoons and I watch those with the kids, but I haven't got around to getting the uh merry metal melodies for the kids yet. So uh-huh. either way.
1: Okay, it is it is Daffy Duck. But um Oh D- duck amuck um uh, was also this sort of breakthrough in animation. And I think that this is uh along those same lines where they've taken 2D animation and they've turned it on its side into 3D animation, and it's just this back and forth that works really, really well. And I, I really enjoyed it.
0: You know, it also reminds me of the Terminator ride at Universal Studios. I don't know uh-huh. if you'd call it a ride. Have you been there? I have. Okay, cool. You know how like uh, there are moments where the actors come out on the stage in front of the uh, the story or whatever the the film as it's ensuing, and then. Those actors are interwoven to the 3D film aspect of that that uh, element at the theme park at the same time. Have you seen that? I have. Okay, I, I never did. <laughs> but I know so much about it because my family told me all about it. Uh, uh-huh. did, did it remind you of that at all? A little bit, yeah. Because that just... It, it's not like this is a new idea, but this is new to Disney cartoons. And it's new to... Um, that the two the, the, theaters and it's new to 3d animation because they actually did the flat 2d cartoon animation stuff in the old way with uh doing the pencil drawings on paper and stuff for this this film and then they went uh-huh. back and they redid basically the entire film with 3d animation and then they cut them back and forth together again and interwove them like uh you know mary poppins live action stuff with cartoons and stuff Right. Um, So there's more in this story that we'll have in the show notes. Um, I don't know if you could hear that, but that was my cat digging her claws into my back. That really hurt. Ow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If there's any pouncing noises and prickly, tingling things, it's probably me getting uh, massacred here. (laughs) Getting a free uh, acupuncture. Well, uh, that being said, all cats are evil. And uh, thanks from (laughs) Mickey Mouse to showing this one cat up again uh yeah and a lot of people wondered it was this like if a cartoon idea that walt disney himself maybe had in mind that got canned or something a long time ago and then the the new disney found it in the archives and recreated it and no that's that's not what happened at all it was no and and that is just a testament to how faithful this cartoon is to the classic mystique of Disney animation. And I think that who you know who we have to think for this chat. Who? John Lasseter completely. Oh yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um the it, you said how it, it it was a pleasant surprise when you began to watch it. And it was for me too. and the first thing that came to my mind was I felt like I it was like a uh it was so John Lasseter like to have this kind of film executed in this particular way that uh it was just a dropped giveaway 'cause giveaway because I know so much about John Lasseter. I I think the world of that guy, and I've studied uh, his work and uh, looked at what gave him inspiration. And it was these kinds of classic cartoons that mean so much to John Lasseter from the old uh-huh. days. And so it just made perfect sense. It was also unique that this animated film was the first in a while that's a really good Disney film that was animated or directed by Jennifer Lee, um, a a woman in the ranks up at Pixar, uh, Disney. And she did a real awesome job because, and the reason I say that is because even though it has the the personality of John Lasseter, or I guess you could say, I could I could almost imagine John Lasseter's mission statement for this cartoon, it felt like actually the personality was coming from Jennifer Lee, and that said, the personality that I derived from it was just a lot of unexpected comical twists that were just on the nose every beat and it's it's hard to describe unless you just see the cartoon because it's full of comical action and uh comical violence and stuff so you'll just have to see it to know what i mean but this is yeah, so have to, you'll go have ahead.
1: to go to the theaters to see this because uh as we're about to talk about frozen is also very good so <laughs> you're getting
0: a two-for-one kind of deal yeah Exactly. Go to see this Mickey Mouse cartoon and you also get the bonus of frozen. Yeah. So, so, um, but I think the, the last observation I'll make about this very short film, um, my long winded observations about a very short film is that (laughs) Disney can get back into its groove again. And not only can it get back into its groove again by creating new stories with uh, brand new characters that, yes, are complete ripoffs of their older characters that were tried and true. They can even restore the classic characters like Mickey Mouse, Donald and Mickey and Goofy. And you know how they do it? They have to return to what those characters were like in the classic cartoons. Right. If you look at this stuff on the Disney Channel now, that is produced for like kindergarten and you know, first grade through sixth grade, those characters are incredibly watered down. They're so boring. They they the essence of Donald Duck is completely gone. They're uh-huh. they're not there for your entertainment value. They're there for your educational value. They're there to bore you to death with colors and numbers and you know like very basic values like fairness. But that's not what Mickey and Donald and Goofy were about. I'm not saying that I'm opposed to those things and, and for using cartoon characters for educational stuff. Like, there was always that place with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I would not have wanted Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to try and be sensational and overly entertaining with its characters and be there to just uh, wow you and make you laugh in the neighborhood of Make-Believe. Uh, uh. They were there for an educational value, and you grew to respect mr rogers neighborhood for a different reason for children's entertainment the place that disney's cartoon characters always served best was when they were trying to just make you royally laugh by how bonkers they could be in those old classic <laughs> cartoons and that was what this was able to achieve this is more bonkers than anything else i've seen in the the last decade uh, except for maybe something from a few seconds here and there in emperor's new groove yeah. So I'm happy. And, sure. and that was a, a great way to, in, you know, to start up the film experience for Frozen. I agree. Now, uh, I don't think that this film is available in 3D. Is it? Frozen? Yeah. Yeah, I, it is. Is it? Darn it.
1: I didn't see it in 3D either. Um, I was hoping but, that
0: there was hope for humanity again. Like that have been so cool if there was a major release that wasn't in 3D. I'd have been so uh-huh. tickled pink. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's too bad. Um. So you want to talk a little bit about Frozen so we can go ahead and segue? Sure, we will segue right in right now. Thank uh, you, sir.
1: Frozen opened in theaters November 22nd, 2013. Uh, it had a budget of $150 million and made $67.3 million in its opening weekend. Worldwide so far, it has totally grossed uh, over $190 million. So it is more than made back. It's no, not more than made back, but it has passed its budget and it is on its way to being very, very successful. Um, the critical acclaim for this film over on Rotten Tomatoes is it is beautifully animated, smartly written and stocked with sing along songs. Frozen adds another worthy entry to the Disney canon. It is uh, directed by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. It was written by Jennifer Lee Chris Lee, Shane Morris, and it is inspired by the classic Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, the snow queen. It stars Kristen Bell as Anna, Idina Menzel, Elsa, Jonathan Groff as Christoph, Josh Gad as Olaf, the snowman, Santino Fontana as Hans and Alan Tudyk, the, as the Duke of Wesselton, weaseltown.
0: I just, I just have to make a comment right now. We finally have a movie where we can ne- pronounce all their names. We do. (laughs) That happens like once every 52 episodes. So thank you, Disney.
1: Yes, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, The songs for this film were composed by the husband-wife duo, I believe, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. And uh, the score is composed by Christoph Beck.
0: Uh, Would you like to read the story? Oh, yeah. Most definitely, sir. Okay, so awesome. this was the essentially the storyline from the production company. Here we go. When a prophecy traps a kingdom in eternal winter, Anna, a fearless optimist, teams up with extreme mountain man Kristoff and his sidekick reindeer, Savin, an, on an epic journey to find Anna's sister Elsa, the Snow Queen, and put an end to her icy spell over the entire country. Encountering mystical trolls, a funny snowman named Olaf, Everest like extremes, and dangerous magic at every turn. Anna and Kristoff battle the elements in a race to save the kingdom from malicious parties intent on taking advantage of the queen's absence. I thought that this kind of film might be appropriate to break down the content a little bit more cleanly into the area where we'll go into spoilers. Later. Let's go ahead and talk about the less spoiler content and uh actually let's just avoid the spoilers entirely seriously. Um so yeah. on that note, a lot of people are probably wondering, you know, Chad like, well, what did Rotten Tomatoes rate this and what did IMDb rate this? Let's just go ahead and tell them, shall we?
1: Okay. Yeah, works for me. Okay. Um you want to go ahead?
0: Yeah, you know, let let's just, you know, think about this um a little bit. Uh okay, I I want you to know that Rotten Tomatoes gave Frozen an 88% from the critics and a 91 from the audience. That is really good, people. Okay, yeah. so then for IMDb, they gave it an 8.1 out of 10. Now, these rate, this, these percentage points are probably going to change a little bit more over the coming weeks as more people go to their accounts and they rate these films on these sites. But they're not going to fluctuate too much because there's already the majority of vote is already in. Now, for a little bit of comparison, if you want to kind of know, well, how does that stack against something else like Tangled? Which I think is what we're all wanting to know, because I think all of us parents, all of us adults that would actually bother to look at the ratings of a film like Frozen, we're the people who saw Tangled. And based on our opinions of Tangled, we're going to size up Frozen. Uh, So for those of you that are thinking like I am, because you've got small kids. (laughs) Tangled got an 89% from the critics and an 87 from the audience. So, interestingly enough, audiences enjoy Frozen slightly more than they liked Tangled, and the critics ever so ever so slightly enjoyed Tangled more than they enjoyed Frozen. Also for comparison, uh you know, Tangled is the girls movie, what about the boys movie, which was Wreck-It Ralph? And uh, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be racist or, <laughs> or or Sexist or anything else like that. I'm just saying, <laughs> come on people. You know what I mean? Um, one's a princess film and the other one is a video game character film. So come on. I right. uh, Ralph. He got an 86% from the critics and he got an 87% from the audience. And I don't know how many people just in the general movie going audience realize that, but Hey, you know, seems like we all like Wreck-It Ralph a lot. Um, And that's more than I was even giving it credit for. I love it that much, but I didn't realize that the audience did. So that's really cool. And if you want to compare this to one other animated film going on right now that people still have on their, you know, recent memory, Brave got a 78 from the critics and a 76 from the audience. I'm not that forgiving of Brave, but I understand where they're coming from completely. They're thinking, hey, you know, this is kids entertainment, so they're going to give it all kinds of pardons. Um, personally, I don't know why. Maybe I just take kids' movies way too seriously, and we should just stop the <laughs> podcast now because we've already talked too much. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Personally, I would not have given Brave that kind of higher rating. Me neither. Uh, d- did you ever get around to reviewing that? I did. Um, I don't recall exactly
1: what I rated it. I want to say a three out of
0: five. Mm. Um, So just barely, slightly good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it to a point, but I, there was lots of room for improvement.
0: Yeah. Um, I did rate it a three. I'm going to take that link and post it in the outline. I feel like we have a few winners here going on for Disney and Pixar because Monsters University was not on par with Monsters Inc., on an emotional level as a child, you know, growing up and seeing his characters come back, you know. Um, I, I felt like Monsters Incorporated was just again, legendary. Uh, Monsters University was really fantastic, but it wasn't legendary. Um, Rickett LaRalph, I really dig that film, and that might be because I'm really more of a geek than anything else. Uh, how about you? Um, I think that
1: Something worth noting here, you know, we, everybody talks about how, how great Pixar is and Pixar is generally on the whole, their track record shows that they are great. They, they present films that are made for children, but they have lots of elements that appeal to adults. And so Pixar has become the standard for the animated film, but something worth noting here. Three Disney animated non-Pixar films have higher approval ratings than uh, the last, or it's not the last, Pixar film. Yes. Um, So, um, personally, I I really enjoy Wreck-It Ralph. I really enjoy Tangled. I own both of those on Blu-ray.
0: And I watch both of them. Well, we're seeing the value of Pixar rubbing off on Disney quite a bit.
1: And I think we have John Lasseter to thank for that quite a bit.
0: Yeah. And you know, what we're going to probably hear in 10 years when they finally come out with a history book of Disney from 2001 through 2010, they're probably going to reveal how when John John Lasseter moved to Disney, he took all the best talent with him over to Disney and then he sent all the supposed talent from Disney that they didn't have room for back to Pixar. You know, it's inevitable. That kind of thing happens with corporations and studios all the time. And that's just inevitable. Um, John Lasseter was where it was at, and it was really the people. I don't care so much about Team Pixar or Team Disney, so long as we get the excellent material from those fantastic filmmakers. Because in another uh, decade or two, we're going to remember the films a heck of a lot more than we're going to remember the studios attached to them, inevitably. Right. That's just the way it goes. The, the longer these things are around, the less you're thinking about the studio name involved and more about the characters and the filmmakers because those are more or less inseparable. Um, And you know what, people? I would just go ahead and like to say, go see Frozen if you're straddling the fence on this. If you want to see Frozen, but you weren't sure about going to see it, and now you you want to just get the thumbs up or the thumbs down, Joe Darnell is giving you the thumbs up. What do you say, Chad?
1: I am also giving it the thumbs up.
0: Cool. Cool. And I thought we, you know, our audience totally deserves that because we usually make them wait way <laughs> too long and too like the second hour about for that information. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, honestly, uh, I don't sound like a guy anymore. I'm losing my manhood card. So maybe I just need to frame <laughs> all this again as I am. The child that, you know, was raised on Disney princesses and Peter Pan and Pinocchio that turned into a regular, healthy, normal, strong, testosterone-filled guy (laughs) who then got hooked on superheroes, which were eventually sold back to Disney, which kind of really messed up my psyche because then (laughs) Donald and Goofy were no different from Iron Man and, you know... Spider-Man and so like uh, I don't know I don't know what I am anymore Chad I might be a boy I might be an adult I can't tell but no, I
1: mean oh, go ahead
0: but my kids liked this film that's good. And that's saying a lot it's got both of their votes they already want to know when they can get it out on you know a home release they were rather impatient with Monsters University too so if your kids liked Monsters University they're probably going to give this one a thumbs up as well yeah now, Chad, do you think that you would have enjoyed Frozen more if you were a child?
1: You know that's difficult. I think that a lot of my enjoyment from this film comes from the more adult aspects of it
0: yeah um, naturally as far as yeah. i mean that's that's the, that's really smart of Disney to even bother to to make these films more or less family driven films
1: yeah I mean for the record i'm i'm a twenty one year old male college student and I loved this film, and everybody I have seen in my college setting loves this film. Um, So, I mean, that just really speaks to the wide appeal
0: of this film. Now, did you go to see it with other college friends?
1: I did. I went and saw it with my roommate, Andrew, and he really enjoyed it. He had actually already seen it, so he saw it a second time with me. Huh. And uh, so his girlfriend was,
0: went. Oh, okay. I was going to say, what was his motivation? That's kind of weird. No. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you for clearing that up for me.
1: Yes, His girlfriend went, and then he had a couple other friends who went with us as well.
0: Well, sweet. I mean, there's not many other films to watch right now in theaters anyway. I mean, unless you just haven't got around to them. Uh, I liked a few, but uh, I don't know. I, if it weren't for this film and maybe The Hobbit and that new film with Christian bell and, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, I-, I might just stick away from the theater. Oh, the- yeah, that was right. I almost forgot about catching fire, which is definitely worth seeing. And, uh, yes. all the college students need to be seeing that before they watch frozen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, general thoughts about the story. Uh, really good. Um, all along the way, I felt like, I felt like tangled was a guinea pig for Disney and Pixar's mashup where they were exploring how well they could get these studios to work together, or should I say the mixture of their talents? Because I don't really think that Pixar was working on much of the production of Tangled. I just feel like the mashup of their talents that happened after Pixar was bought by Disney had a huge influence on Tangled, as we've already talked about way too much. The thing about Tangled was though, is they were trying to figure out what kind of uh, animated film would work where with a princess, Post Pocahontas and uh, Beauty and the Beast, they were trying to figure out how to make a um, how to not make too big a deal about c g and just enjoy the the film aspect of it because I felt like even in recent times. Part, all the studios apart from Pixar have been suffering heavily from figuring out how they want to represent good storytelling with CG stories because it felt like the technical was getting in the way of the, of the artistic for, uh-huh. uh, for, for animation studios like Disney and others where they, they just turn to screwball comedy with zany animals to tell an interesting story with a CGI that's what we've seen from the likes of um, those people who did Ice Age, and others like them. These other uh, studios—they're, you know, some of the, their films are entertaining and uh, they mean well, but they're much more screwball comedy. They're much more uh, forgettable because they don't impact right. you as much on the emotional level, and they're n- they don't have the consistency, they don't have the quality, they don't have the resonance that you know, the you know Pixar animated films have had that secret sauce that that makes all the family want to go and watch it together. I remember my grandfather in his 70s watching Toy Story for the first time with me, and virtually he never, ever watched cartoon films. And he thoroughly enjoyed Toy Story. And that was so weird of him because he didn't normally get into animated films at all. But for whatever reason, that kind of film could have that kind of resonance with so many different generations. Uh Uh, I was, what, 10 years old at the time? So yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool because it really, it it affected him. And Pixar had that secret sauce because they understood that it was about storytelling and not allowing the technical capabilities of CG animation to get in the way of telling good story. And I think that John Lasseter pushes the envelope on that every opportunity, and he tried to do that with Tangled. It was interesting. It was good. It was compelling. They did a better job of it than they had done in previous attempts, and Frozen, though, feels more or less natural. Like, finally, Disney is no longer uh, sidetracked by the abilities they have with this technological achievement, and they're finally getting back to their artistic prowess that they had had in previous films like beauty and the beast. So, yeah.
1: Well, I, I think the, the real reveal here is that story wins, no matter whether you're watching a children's animated movie or you're watching a rated R film or you're watching a movie musical, what, whatever story is key. And if you have a good story set in place, then everything else will fall into place. And I think that's something that's really happened here.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Now, what exactly though, do you mean by story? Because I feel like everybody is kind of starting to get the glaze over their eyes and they think that we're talking inside baseball Uh, because they're (laughs) thinking, well, all movies are stories, people. I mean, come on, what are you talking about? Um, What we're talking about is like whether or not that is impacting on the five-year-old and his mommy and right. this is actually doing it that that the story is resonating with all ages and it has to it, and when we say it, it has to be appealing it doesn't mean that it, it touches upon it doesn't just tug on the heartstrings but it also has a, r- a right amount of humor that is not centered around the toilet but also uh, you know around interesting things to all ages and healthy well uh, you know developed minds right so then there's not just uh good comical relief as well but there's also like a theme that you can get behind and you brought this up Chad which i think was excellent because i i i just you know i was i was just a little bit behind you i was going to catch up and i was going to get there but it hadn't clicked yet what the theme was that was going on in frozen for me until you really spelled it out and that uh-huh. was th- this aspect of how this is about well, I mean, I don't want to take your thunder. You go ahead and describe it. <laughs> um, it's
1: it's about familial love. It's 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 true love, but it's not romantic love. It's and just it's,
0: to to set the stage. You mean like typically Disney movies have to have a romantic love story going on with a guy and a girl, uh, whether yes. he's the prince or she's the princess, and they are somehow uh, forced to be separated, and they just gotta find a way to get together. Right,
1: and that's always the solution to Disney films. I mean, even Tangled, as much as I love Tangled, the solution at the end of that film is true love between a man and a woman, um, uh, a princess and a commoner. And Brave sort of tried to break away from that, but it didn't do that very well, I don't think. And Frozen takes that same concept that failed in Brave and applies it here much more successfully, where the man isn't the answer to the female's problem it's her love for her sister and for her family that solves the problem here and it's a really good twist that there there are two key twists in this film and that's one of them
0: yeah okay yeah um we'll get to the other twist later but yes I, i very much agree that you know everybody loved toy story because it was a buddy film and it was about right. the, the, the very special, uh, per, uh, you know, friendship that the character Woody and Buzz could have together and share, which was something that wa- was lacking in a lot of animated films and family-driven films. But it was certainly right. one that families wanted to see promoted well and well-illustrated because what, what parent doesn't want uh, their boys to get along like that uh, and, you know, and sisters too? And this is actually, I don't think it is on par with the message uh, or the theme of the original Toy Story and what it does for Buzz and Woody, but it makes a very valiant effort to address uh, sisterly friendship and bonding. And that was something, like you said, Disney films don't deal with. Think about all the other princesses. Most of them don't have any siblings whatsoever. I can't, you know, off huh. the top of my head, I don't think any of them had siblings. Um, right. Oftentimes, they don't have parents. And if they have parents, they're just, you know, side characters, comical characters, or they're in the background and they, they blend into the draperies at the castle. Uh, this time around, I was actually really impressed not just by the scope that they introduced with these sister relationships, but also with all the rest of the cast of characters. Much like a Pixar film, uh, maybe more like a Toy Story film, this actually has a lot of side characters that have active participation in the story, uh, right. and more so than Tangle did, for instance. Tangle had a lot of faces in it, but usually they were just around for the musical numbers and helping the good guys overcome some bumbling troopers. You know, uh, when they needed, right. the, you know, the guys from the Snuggly duck, Duckling. To help them uh, beat up the king's men so that they could get into the castle or escape the prison and stuff like that then they they have these guys in the background that are mostly nameless that mostly don't have an active speaking voice to produce some comical relieving action and that was uh, the kind of the thing with Tangled so that really the only characters you felt like you got in the entire film were the villainous uh, Rapunzel and Flint and that was it like that's what it felt like it felt like all the right. other people were just background with frozen all these side characters ha- not only just have a voice but they have a an active speaking voice they're they're leaning into the story they all have a motivation right. they're all trying to get somewhere with what they're up to uh, and what, and that being said oftentimes these uh, family films try to uh give a emotional uh, some hmm, twist or arc to the comic characters, the comical characters. And I'm so glad that the snowman in frozen wasn't essential to the third act of the story. Right. Like that. They didn't try to give him uh, some heartwarming in- involvement that was central to what was really going on where they were trying to end the eternal winter. Um, Thankfully, they just allowed him to be on the sidelines for this, as to not take away from the ultimate theme. And right. That was very smart of Disney.
1: I think so too. And um, he Olaf's placement in the film is very, very appropriate. He's hysterical in this movie. I was literally laughing at everything he did. Um, but it, like, like you said, it's not. He was there for. He was there for the kids, let's be honest. I I enjoyed what he did, but he was there for the kids mostly. And all of the other characters, though, like you said, they have a face. They have an active part in the story. They have an active purpose in the story. And they all interact with each other in a way that leads us to the story's conclusion in a positive way.
0: Now, if there was any of the characters that... I felt like they did their job, but they felt more or less unnecessary or I could have taken a relief, left them. I, I, I felt a little bit more neutral towards them were the trolls, but even they uh, uh, were well executed. The, they were these uh, uh, trolls that were made of stone and uh, right. the, uh, uh, the guy and the girl need to get special secret information from them in the middle of the film and uh, they were also used to get secret knowledge at the be- beginning of the film. These trolls are very goofy characters, but they have one very wise troll among them that has insights into how magic works that the rest of the people of the land don't have. And because they were so goofy, uh, they could have easily blown it by just like setting the wrong tone and making you feel like, okay, this film seriously doesn't understand humor. Whoever produced this film doesn't really get humor. And now they're just mocking the audience. Uh, but it didn't do that. Um, really, I felt like the rightful place for the trolls, kind of like you said with Olaf was that the, the trolls were there for the kids and they were still tasteful enough that adults wouldn't, uh, you know, start to fall asleep and tune out the film and not take it too seriously anymore. Um, the trolls were more or less in the spirit of, um, Hmm. I'd like to give people a comparison. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe some of the funnier, enjoyable, friendly monsters of monsters university uh-huh. they're they're just a a, a ragtag of characters that uh that serve their purpose, and you wouldn't want them to like show up at the end for the final battle where right right when the good guys needed the most the the uh, the most unexpected thing happened. the trolls showed up, and they just overrun the castle and took out all the bad guys and helped the good guys you know find victory you know um they didn't do right <laughs> they again like that could have so easily had happened to this film and it would have totally spoiled the finale um thankfully the trolls served their purpose and then they were done
1: yes but i i do think are, are we in spoiler territory joe uh
0: not necessarily we're we're kind of fudging there a little bit maybe you think so uh well i have stuff spoilery to say if if it if it's okay uh, well, I, I think we've covered the fact that this is a beautiful film that you got to go see it anyway. So yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and introduce the spoilers.
1: Okay. The spoiler bell has been rung. Um, ding <laughs> What I loved about the trolls and I didn't realize this until retrospect. Um, as you know, I am the music guy. And, um, so I, I purchased the deluxe edition of the soundtrack when I got home after seeing this film and in the trolls song, um, called Fixer Upper. They sing a stanza toward the end that I'm, I'm just going to read it for you. We're not saying you can change her because people don't really change. We're only saying that love's a force It's powerful and strange. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. Throw a little love their way and you'll bring out their best. True love brings out their best. And it hit me in the face that these characters figured out the solution to the story three scenes before the uh, the rest of the characters did.
0: Yes, very smoothly. Isn't and, that... I mean, that's just so cool. It was. And they didn't need to spell out how that was to be exercised. They wanted to allow the main characters to use enough sense of maturity and exercise discernment to figure out how to apply that message. So yeah. unf- it, what's unique, though, to me, this is where one of my dislikes comes into play. Was that we have the two sisters and they're making an interesting uh, uh, development arc where the one sister really needs some advice, but she's not seeking it. She's retreating from all of the people who could help her. She is the queen, she is the snow queen. She is concerned because she's got this special, cursed, given power uh, where she will uh, produce like winter in any environment. She'll make it happen indoors and outdoors. She'll do it in the mountains and in the valleys. Everything, as far as the eye can see in all the land, will become winter in July. And actually, the I think the story is set in June. And mm-hmm. uh, it just so happens it turns into winter and so hence the movie comes out at Christmas. Uh, so the Snow Queen's problem is that everybody interprets her winter powers to be Uh, a curse on her and the family. So Uh, it's bad for the entire kingdom. She cannot be trusted. She must be vile and wicked because she has this curse, which is reminiscent of classic fairy tales. And what's interesting is classic fairy tales get that kind of uh, notion from uh, biblical stories where people just assume because there was dark magic or weird craziness and uh, things like that, that they were tied to some sort of like curse, but curses come from God Uh, just so that people know that kind of thing. In the uh, fairy tales that reign true, uh, magic doesn't produce the curse because magic is just like a scientific force from Thor. Right. So really the force behind the science is that there is some being that is wielding it. And the person behind the curtain in classic uh, biblical stories was God. And the person behind the curtain in uh, in classic fairy tales is harder to define. He may have sometimes been God, and usually he just went unnamed. But um, some kinds of magic were used by uh, wizards and sorceresses and stuff like that to do bad things. And then there was the good magic. In this film, it doesn't appear that there is any form of good magic. And the twist was that, to me the cool twist of Frozen uh-huh. was in this theme that the the ice powers were not actually a curse. That was a misinterpretation of the gifts that, that the Snow Queen had. She actually had something that could be used for good or evil, and it was just that her family never caught on to that. So right. every time she used her powers, it was by accident, or it was out of fear, or it was because... Um, She didn't know how to control them and because she was angry and so she would lash out and she would abuse this ability to produce ice and it would really come close to hurting people and she really tried to use it to try and hurt people during the story. So a few times it looked really like, you know, the Snow Queen is the bad guy here. Look at how she's using these powers. And you're uh-huh. thinking, oh yeah, this makes total sense. This is stuff of a curse. And it was really smart in that when they developed this theme of how love works and uh, with this, I've let your imaginations roam with that until you see the film, um, unless Chad wants to elaborate on the theme of love, but once they figured out how love and your abilities relate to each other, she realized, I don't have to use my special abilities for evil. I can also use them for good. And that was so cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it's sort of along the same veins um you don't you're not born racist you're taught to be racist i think that's sort of the same sort of idea here she she wasn't born with her powers as a curse she was born with her powers but she was told that they were a curse and so they became a curse exactly um, and Thank so you. she had to f- learn on her own or with the help of her sister it turns out that they weren't a curse they could be a blessing um it it wasn't control or uh, seclusion that would uh, solve this problem, which um, which is what her song is all about. Uh, Elsa has a song called Let It Go, and it's all about, you know, all my life I've been told I need to hide this. I need to be the good girl. Well, um, I've passed that point in my life. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to, uh, see what my powers make me capable of. I'm going to experiment a little bit with being the bad person, being the bad girl. And I I think that that's another really good takeaway, uh, from this film is the idea of control versus instability, the internal struggle of good versus bad. It's, it's what you're told. It's what you tell people that helps them or makes them, see something one way versus another and so you just have to find the right way to describe something like this or racism or whatever the idea be if it's presented in the right way it's not an issue but here it wasn't and so that's what provided us the conflict in the story
0: <laughs> just that yeah i love it how you can r- reduce everything i said to its nuts and bolts and just <laughs> tell it how it is that's what i'm here for what did you think of the animals? Um,
1: by animals, I'm assuming you mean Sven?
0: Yeah, and the the ducklings here and there, um, the horses, which were downplayed because we've seen a lot of horses, but they were still here. Uh, yeah, what did you think about them? I guess when I think animals, I'm thinking really about animals and other uh, personality-given inanimate objects and stuff like that things that typically don't have personality but manifest them so that means animals yes they have personality but not like human driven personality like they always do in disney films um i guess anything that was unhuman maybe that's the right way to phrase this question what did you think of all the unhuman characters in general apart from the trolls
1: you know i i they didn't bother me. Um, I, I liked Sven and I liked his relationship with Kristoff. Uh, I thought it was a, an interesting dynamic uh, where you have this, this man who only socializes with his reindeer who he's known since he was a child. And they introduced that at the very beginning and that sort of relationship uh, pretty well at the start of the film. And it um, was nice that they got away from the horses. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, th- th- there's like one close-up of a horse, and it's it's very brief, and it's not like Maximus from Tangled at all.
0: Yeah, but they led you on a little bit to believe that that's what they were going to do. They led uh-huh. you to believe that, hey, this prince who happens to have a horse, uh, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know who he's going to be for the rest of the film. Right. <laughs> and as it turned out that that animal character was downplayed, Though they could have done a whole movie around him, they could have a spinoff. I mean, you know, this is Disney. Of course <laughs> they will. They could. There will be a TV right. show about all the animal woodland creatures of uh, Frozen, and then there was the uh, the abominable snowman oh, and marshmallow. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I loved him. Uh, he was a big marshmallow that wanted to kill everybody with his icicle fingers. Uh, uh-huh. very smooth uh, and the the way in which they used snow and uh, it was just so artistic and clever it was it was refreshing it was new it it didn't feel like it was recycled from another film um the one of the things that did feel recycled but in a really refreshing way if you're familiar with disney films were some of the uh the cultural aspects of architecture uh, design and clothing were reminiscent of Cinderella, Peter Pan, and Pinocchio. So if you liked the look and feel of the, like, the towns, the village, the way that they felt and looked, the way their dresses were designed, then you're really going to dig this. Um, and of course, CGI is making things look so realistic now that they, they, it's so easy to make things look realistic that they have to actually downplay it to make it look more like a kid's film. So, they find ways to make it look like light and fluffy and storybookish so that it feels more like um, a fairy tale than something that is just way too realistic. And that was, they found that really high quality, beautiful mixture that you want in good children's storytelling. Yeah. Uh, As a whole, this film was also a musical. And you've already talked about the soundtrack, and I didn't really pay attention to the soundtrack, honestly, because it served its purpose. What uh-huh. stood out to me was how the musical numbers were all, as a whole, more satisfactory for, than those in Tangled. And I had to make that comparison again, because they almost feel, it almost feels like this is related to Tangled somehow. Yeah, Uh, it feels like this is the equivalent of a Tangled 2 in some ways (laughs) that has nothing to do with the same characters.
1: Well, you know, uh, Rapunzel and Flynn do make a brief appearance at the start of the film.
0: No, where
1: they do. I am going to find that for
0: you. It's when they first opened the gates. Um, So they were like visiting from their faraway land. Yeah, Uh, that is so cool. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And that would explain why the characters look like they belong and fit in the same world. They have the same look about the human race. Uh, Right. That's, that's really cool. That's a nice touch. And I, I see what
1: you're saying about the music comparison here. I mean, Tangled, the the songs in Tangled were actually written by Alan Menken, who did compose uh, the, the songs for Disney classics, like the little mermaid and Aladdin and beauty and the beast. Um, but the only real—I mean, I know all the songs detangled because I, I have the soundtrack. That's that's what I do. Um, but I think the average person walked away singing "At Last I See the Light" and that's it. Um, whereas here, I think you could walk away singing more than just one song, um,
0: or you could I even think, picture them showing up on the top pop music charts for kids, right? For, and for reasons like they just work on their own, not because they're in that hit movie that, uh, that's out right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, so and, and there's also an it element. really
1: well there.
0: And there's an element right. to the music, though, that almost sounds like Broadway musical style. Yeah. And that is refreshing for a Disney film as well. In the 90s, they tried to make such a hoopla, such a a, uh, a majestic scale of all their musical numbers. They were trying to do things that were too grandiose. And in response to that, with CG animation, Pixar realized that they that was way out of their league. They could not achieve that kind of grandeur with musical numbers. Just think back to any one of the musical numbers in a, The Beauty and the Beast. They were great, uh-huh. but they had such a, a, a majesty about them that was suitable to the context of that story and what was capable of 2D animation at the time, taking advantage of very early uh, developments in uh, 3D animation that were interwoven. With Uh um, pure CGI environments, you got to remember that though CG films have been with us since the early 90s, it's still a relatively uh, untested medium. Because with every one of these films, these animators are creating new technologies and they're trying to figure out how to how do we make water look realistic? And that was a big challenge for Finding Nemo with uh, The Incredibles. The big challenge was how do we make human characters look realistic enough that people will buy them yet make them look cartoonistic enough that they still look like a cartoon story character? Right, and that was a very hard balance to try and get, and it had not been accomplished before The Incredibles. Just think back to the uh, early uh, the Toy Story film, that the human characters were really disappointing in how they were represented.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: with uh, with Toy Story two, the big challenge was that there was a point where all the characters, uh, you know, well, uh, there were several different challenges, but for 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 instance, everybody remembers that moment where Buzz is interacting with diluted Buzz in the toy store, and diluted Buzz shoves Buzz's face into a clear plastic wall uh, inside the toy store display. And so he says, no backtalk. I have a laser, <laughs> and I will use it. And when he's shoving Buzz's face into the plastic, it, his skin, like, mashes up, and it spreads out, just like skin would if you pressed it up to a glass window. Uh But then it kind of squeaks and that tells you it's sort of a rubbery um, squeak where, you know, Buzz's face is made of some sort of rubber that's rubbing against a plastic uh, display case. That was a Uh really difficult visual effect to produce with animation. It was a huge ordeal. It was very trying for them to animate the squishing skin of Buzz's face against the plastic. And every one of these uh, CG films is taking on a new challenge. With right. this film, I think, although snow has been explored a lot, as snow in every conceivable, imaginable environment, interwoven with ice, put on landscape, put on animals, shown melting, shown freezing, shown producing icicles and produce, uh, producing snow on the snowflake level and the snowball level showing an avalanche, showing a heavy fog of falling snow, all these different kinds of combinations of sh- of snow and ice. They did them all in Frozen. And I, they just really pushed the envelope far beyond what I was expecting. It was really beautiful.
1: Yeah, it, it works really, really well here. And, um, you know, I mentioned a, a moment ago, you mentioned how the songs are very Broadway esque in their approach and in their delivery. Here, I think the the way the characters move around the screen while they're singing is very Broadway esque. Yeah, and I just wanted to briefly mention that it's very appropriate because you know Adina Menzel, who voices Elsa, is known as Elphaba in the musical Wicked. That that's who Adina Menzel is.
0: Okay, um, thank you. Because that yes. was the I, that was another thing I want. I felt like saying, but I also felt like I, I would lose my you know, my man card (laughs) that I've heard the soundtrack to wicked. And I saw it with my younger sister when it was at the Atlanta Fox theater. And I very much thought, wow, is it, is it just me or is the Disney musical numbers learning from Broadway and the successes of things like wicked that you confirmed it for me? So (laughs) I, 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 Hey, I'm a, a filmmaking detective. What can I say? I get these things. (laughs) <laughs> that's I, great. I get the vibes.
1: <laughs> um, but anyway, speaking of Indita Menzel, um, what did you think of the voice cast in general? We've talked a lot about the way they look and about the characters themselves, but what do you think about the voices behind them?
0: Oh, all of them were flawless. Um, I, I yeah. was absolutely happy with every voice characterization.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Um, I, I think that the, the three standouts here, of course, um, are Kristen Bell as Anna um, she brought Our leading lady lots,
0: huh? The leading lady.
1: Yes. Uh, she brought lots of variety um, to the role. She brought some quirkiness, um, some seriousness. She wasn't just the straight, typical Disney princess. Um, she had a little bit of Rapunzel in her. Um, but even more so in a yes. good way. In a, in a great way, and it uh, it works really well for her, uh, and she has that duet with Hans uh, after they decide they fall in love. Uh, that's really funny back and forth. Um, we finish each other's sandwiches. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, uh, she she just brings a lot to the role in the 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 sense of characterization. I mean, just e- even just in her vocal characteristics, she's bringing. Um, this wide array of characteristics and emotion to the role.
0: Mm. Yes. I couldn't agree more. And I want to say though, that that's going to be something that so many people are going to overlook these days because we have grown accustomed to voice parts and cartoons. And we don't even really think about the the quality work that goes into them anymore. But if you look at the fit and finish of these actors performances, this is really high quality performance. And oh, yeah. I know none of them are going to get like, you know, actor or actress, you know, best actor or best actress, but for what it's worth, if it that could ever remotely come close to happening, one of these people should have been a candidate. Yeah, I agree completely. Now, I honestly don't have much in the way of dislikes, but if you had to know just one teensy weensy real problem I have with a film that kind of frustrates me as an adult is the climax when the Snow Queen sister Elsa, who has been struggling the entire film, and frankly, her entire life, to figure out her powers, who believed her entire life that they were inherently evil, wants to only do the right thing and save her country from eternal winter, and who only wants to do the best thing for all the people involved and not die and save her sister, finally gets it In one act of self-sacrifice that her sister performs. And Uh when that happens, it just clicks. And you know what? Oh, wow. The Snow Queen all of a sudden becomes like incredibly gifted with her magical power of the ice and snow. And she knows exactly how to control it in every environment, near and far, on the other side of those mountains, in the long-distance countryside that she can't even really see at the moment. She's able to whisk all the snow away with just a thought. And never before in her life has she executed this. But all of a sudden, just now, everything goes from absolutely tutter grim darkness and terrible, you know, defeat to another bright sunny day here in the Valley. You know, it it was, it was mind boggling how easy it was for that transition to happen in just a snap for me, even though it worked, it didn't work nearly as well as the rest of the story because the rest of the story, the, uh, my suspension of disbelief was not an issue. And that was the one time where I was like, Oh man. All right. Yeah. This is a Disney film, isn't it? Um, what did you think? Uh, that doesn't really bother me. What what
1: comes to mind when you mention that is Violet um, from The Incredibles. You know, she struggles the entire film with uh, controlling her force field, and yes, it's it's certainly not to the same scale that Elsa's powers here as the ice, uh, the Snow Queen are. Um, but there's that one moment in that moment of need when she it just clicks for her, and I mean. I, I, I I don't have ice powers. At least I don't think I do. Um, but I have had moments when something has just clicked for me. All of a sudden I I could be working on something forever and ever. Like since I'm a musician, I, I, if I was practicing something over and over again and it just wasn't improving, it wasn't improving. And then I just approach it from a different perspective and all of a sudden it just falls into place. Mm. And I think you can make that argument a little bit here. Um, like i said that it is to a much larger scale here with elsa um uh, after all she froze over an entire kingdom um so it it I, I see where you're coming from in the sense that it could be a little bit more uh or less believable um but it didn't bother me because i i did explain it to myself that way mm.
0: Well, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it does. I, I get you. And, you know, maybe it you, it helps a lot for you to be in school right now <laughs> because <laughs> you're going through those life experiences a lot more than I am. Um, for me, it's just like I hit the brick wall with my children every day. No, you're not supposed to do that with your fork. Yes, you're supposed <laughs> to put your clothes away, you know. No, we don't watch that without mommy and daddy's permission. You know, it, it, whatever it can be, it happens and it happens every day. So as the parent in me, maybe I'm turning into an old fuddy daddy and you're going to have to shoot me now versus <laughs> later uh, for my own good. And because you're a younger, untainted soul, you, you're pure and innocent and you get these things before maybe it's that's too it. late. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you disliked? Because, I mean, like, I, I, I my list is pretty short.
1: Yeah. M- minus two. I just have one or two brief things. Um, what did you think of the Duke of Wesselton? Um,
0: I, I have a me, hard time. I have a hard time formulating a positive or a negative opinion about him.
1: Yeah. That, that's sort of my, uh, opinion of him as well. It, it seemed very much like he was an antagonist just for the sake of being an antagonist. Um, Literally, as soon as we see him on screen, he says, I am here to exploit Arendelle for my personal profit. <laughs> like, I, I think he outright says that. Oh, did I say that out loud? Yes, he and did. Then it moves and on. then he said that. <laughs> and and then the entire rest of the film, that idea is not explored in the least. Um, it, was, I mean, Grant, it was
0: sideways suggested. He always sounded like he was out for his own gain. He never sounded like he cared about other people. Whenever he yeah. opened up his mouth, he sounded fearful for his own good and he didn't care about about right. this other country he wasn't a neighborly uh you know a diplomat you know he he was just uh an an old dude with uh, a pointy nose and a funny looking mustache and a <laughs> toupee that wanted to fall off all the time which was a really nice little quirky comedic thing that you haven't seen in a while in film yeah um i love that just- he was voiced by alan tudyk
1: yeah, that was fun. Uh especially after hearing him last year in Wreck It Ralph.
0: He can't do anything wrong. <laughs> you know, Firefly, Wreck It Ralph, whatever. He's great. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of explained
1: his existence to myself. Um I, I said that he provides the distraction. Um while the the second twist, which we haven't mentioned, um Hans as the bad guy. Um,
0: woo, the, the guy. woo, woo, woo! That's the big woo, woo. one. There it
1: is. There it is. Um, so, the,
0: if y'all need to, that's the spoiler you need to erase from your memories.
1: <laughs> well, we rang the spoiler bell a long time ago, so
0: yeah, they were just asking fault. for it. They were losers.
1: But uh, I mean, I guess you could explain that away like that, where you know, almost like in Jurassic Park, you watch one Velociraptor while the the other one sneaks up behind you, and that's sort of what happens.
0: Hmm. That's a great comparison. You could use that oh. for so many good story uh, you know, comparisons. Wow. I like that one. Thanks. That's classic.
1: Okay. And I, I have one other brief uh, sort of complaint. Did it seem to you like everything was an overreaction? Because that's what I walked away with.
0: Uh, well, it was actually refreshing just how little Kristoff did was an overreaction and it produced so much contrast for him and the trolls that were so sensible, more common sense driven, they didn't want to rock the boat. Hey, they weren't superly ambitious. They were not overly emotional driven souls. They were more down to earth, common sense. Let me just be practical and pragmatic about what I got to do. Uh, and then it felt like you're right. It felt like so much of the rest of the characters were driven by whims.
1: Uh-huh well that is that is a, a comparison that I hadn't thought about was um see my, my complaint I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out there um, it seems like everything on the royal side of the family's uh side
0: so is an overreaction them from and their the,
1: country right yeah I mean that is a good sort of juxtaposition because i I mean looking at the royal family. You have at the very beginning of the film where the trolls remove Anna's memories of Elsa's powers. Like, that's the only solution is that she must forget that these powers exist Um, and then that they stay locked away from the world. And um, Anna's immediate love for Hans as soon as she sees him. And then the way Elsa just storms out after her powers are uh, revealed to the kingdom. To me, there were logical paths logical reactions to all of these circumstances. Yes. And then there were the illogical ones, illogical ones, that they took. And but you you do bring an interesting point where you have the juxtaposition of the royal family's overreactions in comparison with the more uh groundedness of Christoph. So
0: And it's not clear whether or not Christoph is from their country, it seems implied, but he may not be, because he was re- raised by the trolls, he says. He Uh vouches for that. So he does business with the kingdom of the snow queen throughout the film. And he is the ice man. So he is the one who sells ice. And during the eternal winter, it's really hard to do any business. Uh, Really fun little irony there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Typically uh, I enjoy irony a lot more than I should. The (laughs) Kristoff character name too was unusual enough that I, I was, my interests were all over that name. Because I thought, what are they doing with a name like Elsa and Hans and Anna instead of something more traditional? I mean, like when you're telling the story of Rapunzel, you're going to have a silly name like Rapunzel. But if you're going to introduce another character to the story, you're not going to call him, you know, uh, Geraldo. You know, you're going to use Flynn. Flynn. You know, Uh it's going to be something simple, cool, nostalgic and reminiscent of the era, but still very cool in the modern age and easy to remember. Uh And whereas here they're using Hans. Well, you know, none of the, you know, our culture is using Hans. So what's up with that? And I looked it up and there's actually a good explanation. What I didn't realize was that this film is based after Hans Christian Andersen's The, The Snow Queen. Right. And uh, several of Disney's films were inspired by or pretty much ripoffs of uh, Hans Christian Andersen's stories.
1: Uh huh.
0: So, to pay tribute where it was due, three of the characters' names came straight from Hans Christian Andersen uh, Christian translated into Christoph, uh, Anderson turned it into Anna, and Hans for Hans. And, yeah, uh, I, yeah.
1: I actually read that earlier. It's a neat little tribute.
0: Yeah. And,. I appreciated it. I wish more um, original films like these would use more or less interesting names like those so that they felt <laughs> like they belonged in this uh, this this the folklore of this particular fairy tale.
1: Well, just uh, slightly off topic, since we've mentioned Wicked and uh, it's along the same veins, I just thought I'd mention if you hadn't known already, Alphaba, uh, who is voiced or who was portrayed by Adina Menzel, uh, is actually the phonetic spelling of L. Frank Baum's uh, initials, who wrote the original Wizard of Oz story. You have L. F. B. Alphaba.
0: Oh, wow. That is so cool. Okay. Yeah. We are so fun, uncool. Fun but note. that is so cool.
1: <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Uh,
0: uh, that is neat. Man, see, this is what art is all about, right, people? Right. Just yeah. nod your head in agreement.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I think that's that pretty much wraps up our uh thoughts on Frozen, unless you have anything else to say.
0: Uh no, I'm i my bottom line is uh, gonna have to come after yours.
1: <laughs> okay. Um well I will go ahead and reveal my star rating. I am giving this uh, film four out of five stars. Um, My bottom line is that it's enjoyable for what it is. It's good family fun entertainment, and it even manages to ask important questions. It has a great voice cast,
0: beautiful animation, and you might even walk out of the theater with some good music stuck in your head. And ditto everything Chad just said, but I'll note that the main disappointment for me in this film is watching the climax as an adult. I don't think it would have the same impact on children. If it made more sense for Elsa to figure out her magic and use it flawlessly like she did at the ending in such a spontaneous manner, then this film would have been more or less fulfilling for my adult brain. And this being the case, it was nigh to really, really great and perfect, but it wasn't quite there. I give it four out of five stars. Cool. So we're we're on the same page here. Yes. So... Nobody needs to ever hear what TJ had to think about this film. We'll just let that be. And, uh, you know, he never needs to even listen to this episode of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. So, Chad, what are you going to talk about on the podcast next week? Do you have any idea? I
1: believe we are going to be talking about the second installment in the Hobbit trilogy, uh, the Desolation of Smaug, which comes out this week. I am seeing it in a double feature setting uh, with the first film Thursday night, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Glory! Whoa! Yeah. Okay. Sweet. So, like, basically, you're gonna be in the theater like all day.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I get there at seven in the morning, and it doesn't end
0: until midnight. Is it going to be the theatrical release of the first film or the extended?
1: Oh yes, it's uh, the theatrical. I believe. I don't think they make us sit through the extended.
0: Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'd love to. I'd love to catch the extended sometime. Just I, I don't think right before or in a marathon in a movie theater is the time.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. You can find Chad Hopkins on Twitter. His handle is at chadadada. That's C H D A D A D A and you can reach me there as well on twitter i'm at joseph darnell thank you for joining us for another adventurous show you can find all the show notes at moviebyte.com forward slash mb podcast slash 72 and moviebyte.com is where you will find more great movie news and opinions so be sure to check it out i'm joe darnell thanks for listening goodbye